The following podcast is brought to you by Babe Media. I'm Emma Clark. And I'm Kelsey Burdett. You know those people you follow that just seem to get it? They have the Instagram content that you actually watch. They own the brands that you just can't stop buying from. And they tell the stories you actually remember. The kinds of people that leave you wondering, how do they do that? Well, we follow them too. And we have the exact same question. Join us as we interview the people that leave us thinking, oh, they get it. Hi, everybody. Hope you're having a wonderful week so far. Honestly, I speak for Kelsey and I when I say we're so excited to get these interviews out to you this week. This week, we sat down with Lainey Crowell, who is the founder and CEO of Say Beauty. If you haven't heard of Say Beauty, they are a clean beauty brand. They were launched actually right at the beginning of COVID, and they've absolutely blown up since their launch. They have won numerous awards, including the Allure Best of Beauty Award, and Lainey won the 2021 Women's Wear Daily Marketer of the Year. What I really loved about our conversation with Lainey is that she's so open in sharing her journey to get to this point. So in this episode, we dive into her career journey of how she started her career in magazines by chasing down the editor-in-chief on Fifth Avenue and asking her for a job to working at Gucci, to working at Estee Lauder, and then eventually leaving to launch her own blog, do consulting, and then launch Say. It's such an inspiring story. I love how Lainey thinks about things. I love how she's built this brand Also, their products are absolutely incredible. So without further ado, let's get into it. Welcome back to another episode. We have been so excited for this one. Today, we're chatting with Lainey Crowell. She is the founder and CEO of Say. Lainey, thank you so much for being here. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited, you guys. This was like a bright spot on my calendar today. Ah. That just makes our day. So to get started, you have such a cool story. And so I want to go right from the beginning. You lived all over the place throughout your childhood. Tell us a bit about that and how that impacted you. I have a very unique background. That's true. My (laughs) mom's job and so much about my mom shaped who I am today. So I was born in Colorado my mom and my dad are true nature lovers. And um, there's actually a picture of me hiking with my mom and my sister was two weeks old and my mom is carrying my sister and we're like on the top of a mountain. (laughs) And, you know, we, we hiked a lot. We spent a lot of time in the outdoors. My mom always gave us little bags to carry with us when we hiked to pick up trash so that we left the trail better than how we found it. And, you know, my mom was also very ambitious and she applied to join the foreign service at the time. Very few women were in the foreign service. So it was very ambitious and she got accepted, which was a huge deal. And so we moved first, we moved to Washington DC so that she could learn Chinese and she learned Chinese in six months. And then we moved to Guangzhou, China. And this was very, you know, this was mid eighties. So I remember I was the only kid in my, in my grade 
And it was basically us and like five families who all worked for Nike. Wow. And like, that was it. (laughs) People, you know, my dad is six, four, my little sister was, um, you know, very, very blonde hair with these big bright blue eyes. And we just stuck out like sore thumbs. (laughs) (laughs) after China, we moved back to Washington, DC, and then we moved to Paris, which I, I would say my love of beauty started actually in Washington, DC, because that's when I remember Mm. buying allure and getting in trouble for it. It was, (laughs) it was when Amber Valletta was on the cover and she was like, it was this big up close picture of her face. And my dad found it in my room and I think was reading like the headlines on it and was like, I don't know if this is Uh-oh. meant, is this is okay for someone who's in fourth grade <laughs> to have. Um, but I just thought it was like the most amazing uh, thing ever. And, but it was really when we moved to Paris that I just was like enraptured with fashion and beauty and uh, the French you know, je ne sais quoi, the, mm-hmm. you know, they, they just live life very differently there. It's not vanity to get a facial every single week and mm. to dress beautifully and invest in really nice, um, well-made things. Like that's just, it's part of their culture. So after that, <laughs> this is kind of long, uh, we moved to <laughs> California um, and that my mom had retired at that point And we moved to California where my dad's family was from. And so I got this really interesting juxtaposition of, you know, this French mentality with this really easy, sunny surfer, California lifestyle. Um, We moved to the Bay area and, and then, and, and, and I I think a lot about that juxtaposition when it comes Mm. to say and how there's an ease um, but also an elegance to, to the brand. So after that, I, I went to Pomona College where I majored in math and economics, um, and I double minored in French and psychology. I loved psychology. And looking back, I'm like, oh, that's so much of how I speak to our consumer and market yeah. is mm-hmm. thinking about other people are interpreting something and how they're feeling. And if I could do it all over again, I I would have majored in psychology. I I loved it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wasn't, I, I, I was good at math, but I wasn't like differential equations three. (laughs) (laughs) And it sounds like that wasn't where your passion lied either. No, no, it wasn't. And looking back, I definitely have some regrets about college and, and what I missed out on there was a lot of cool stuff going on. And I think I just was so not interested in my major that I didn't dive into all of the really amazing things that were offered. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I I graduated college and I really had no idea what I wanted to do because I wasn't interested in what my major was. And so I went to work for a movie production company. It was one of those, like my aunt's, ex-student because my aunt was a teacher had you know there was a movie producer who needed an assistant and so you know I I went and took that just because I needed a job Mm -hmm. and I remember about a year or so after working there the guy that shared was in the cubicle next to me was like you know you're supposed to be reading scripts 
and mm. you're always reading magazines. And <laughs> it's true. I, I consumed magazines like, you know, they were just the holy grail. And that was an aha moment for me where I was like, oh, that's what I want to do. Mm. And I had no idea how hard it was to get into the editorial world. You know, you look at a masthead, there's not very many jobs on a masthead and there's only a very limited number of magazines. But um, like many things, and I think also something I learned from my mom um, or I inherited from her for better, for worse, is uh, I will, will jump in to something, maybe not totally calculating all the risks, but if I did, I wouldn't attempt it. And I moved to New York mm-hmm. not knowing anybody. I ended up getting my first job um, in editorial by because I ran into the editor-in-chief of Lucky Magazine, Kim France, in, I think it was Banana Republic on Fifth Avenue. <laughs> it could have been J. Crew, but it's it was one good. of the two. Yeah. She was looking at like the table was like during winter time and there was like gloves and hats and she was looking at them and I was looking at them and she walked out the door and I just said, you have to introduce yourself. Like this is an opportunity. And I recognized her because I read the editor letter every month in Lucky Magazine religiously. And I essentially like ran after her down the street and I was like, Miss Fran. Miss France. Um, and she turned around and I said, you know, I moved to New York. I, I just can't seem to get a job, um, for the life of me. And, you know, this is my dream. Um, I'm, I'm interning for free at Elle magazine five days a week. I worked nine to like seven every night. Wild. Um, and didn't get paid. And then I would work double shifts and nights at a restaurant. And I just couldn't get my foot in the door. And she gave me her business card. I emailed her and she wrote back and she said, you know, the number one thing you need in this industry is fearlessness. And clearly you have it because you introduced yourself to me. I'm going to help you. And she got me my first job in the fashion news department at Lucky Magazine. That is such a good story. I feel like that should be a movie. That's screaming <laughs> Devil Wears Prada or something to me right now. <laughs> well, it was very much the opposite. Like that that time at Lucky was such a fantastic time. So many of the people that were Lucky then are now actually at Goop. Oh, uh, oh cool. And was there. And she was actually the person that took Say, and we launched Say exclusively at Goop originally. Oh, come on. Mm-hmm. That is such a cool story. And so I I see a lot of trends, right? Your mom, I have this vision of your mom. I have no idea if I'm right or not, but as just being someone that doesn't take no for an answer, and I can see that you've absorbed traits like that to go and take risks. At that time in your life, was risk-taking common for you, or was this maybe a little bit outside of your comfort zone? You know, it's funny when you talk about being in your comfort zone and, and risk-taking and you nailed you you hit the nail on the head with my mom. She doesn't take no for an answer. <laughs> but you know, I actually learned a lot of that also um in editorial. You know, like that was a time where you did not go to your boss with a no. Interesting. Um, you figured it out. You, you know, went and stalked some hat maker to get them <laughs> to call you back, or you, know, you did whatever you had yeah. to do so that you didn't have to go to your boss with a, a no. I think that risk-taking 
when people talk about it, they act like, well, it wasn't scary. And of course, all of this is what was and is scary to me. I love that. I think it's just about, you know, realizing like, well, I don't want to have any regrets and I'm going to have a regret if I don't try this. Or, um, you know, the other thing my mom taught me was that, and she didn't, she never explicitly said this to me, but I think I learned this over the years watching her is that you don't have to let good be the enemy of perfect. Mm. You know, my mom is incredibly accomplished, but she's not the best at anything that she does. Mm. Um, you know, she's a writer. She is very philanthropic, but she doesn't, she doesn't let, you know, any of these things that she wants to do or be, the fact that she's not perfect at them keep her from mm-hmm. doing it. Um, especially with social media and you feel like people are judging you or you're judging yourself, you don't take a risk because you're so scared of what's going to happen. Whereas if you go into it being like, well, I just want to do this. I want to see what's going to happen. I don't have to be number one. I just have to enjoy it and be competent and learn and see where it takes me. It's a very different approach. Mm Mm-hmm very different approach and such a powerful one. And I think you're right. It's so easy to get in your head and talk yourself out of taking a risk or doing something because yeah, there is obviously that chance that it's not going to work out, but what is the upside? What if it does? Um, There's so much potential there. And it sounds like taking those risks is a big part of what got you your position and what got your start in your career. Oh yeah. Everything that I do (laughs) for sure. (laughs) It was all very risky. I'm, I want to hear more about that. Like obviously uh, tracking someone down on the street, kudos to you. I don't think many people would default to that. So I'm so grateful that you did, but now with say with life, with being a mom, talk to me a little bit about how that evolution of risk tolerance, if we can call it that has, has taken shape. Yeah. So let me just fill in a little bit of the gaps because I want to, there was a few more risks in there that kind of got me to say, let's hear it. (laughs) So I went to editorial. I loved it, but I, you know, pretty quickly saw the transitioning happening to digital. And I knew that eventually there were going to be way less positions in print and that digital was the future. So I got recruited to go to an online website, like a online editorial site, I took the job and it was like boot camp, but it was a big deal. I was leaving editorial, which I had, you know, gone to New York to be in. I loved it. I had created a name for myself, but I saw this trend and it was very early, which is something I'm I'm good at doing is seeing trends early on, but that, that was a risk. And then really quickly brands, because I was an editor and I was talking to all these brands, they asked me for help with like, well, how do I use social media to market before anyone was talking about social media as a marketing tool? And so I would set up their Facebook pages for them and I would set up their Twitter accounts and I'd show them how to speak to people. And Estee Lauder called. And, you know, I'd always been curious about being in-house and being at a brand, but that was a big risk, you know, completely leaving the editorial side and going in-house, but I was mm-hmm. curious about it. All of these steps, I was just you know curious and kind of following that thread. And when I worked at um, Estee Lauder, it was a total dream job. You know, I was getting to start 
departments. I was getting to start all the social media channels. I was getting to create totally new initiatives around content and storytelling and influencers. And I was learning from the best of the best. I reference things that I learned there almost daily. Um, Mm -hmm. Having my own brand now, but you know, I was there for five years about. And when I left, it was a huge risk. But again, I knew instinctively that there was another something new I wanted to do and try. Um, I had this really big idea about beauty being better. And I had no idea how it was going to materialize. So I started consulting for brands when I left. And then I started my blog. And all of this, these little things like, you know, consulting for brands and, and writing this blog, like they were little tests mm-hmm. to see like, okay, what's this big next step? Uh, and about six months after I launched the blog, it was called The Moment. Lainey, what year was this? Give us a little bit of context. Oh my gosh. <laughs> ah! um, I'm going to say it's 2016. Okay. Okay. And I, it might've been 2015, but it was around there Mm -hmm. because yeah, that was, that was when it was. And I, from the day I launched the blog, I started having brands sending me product to review. Wow. Mm -hmm. And I was going out to dinner one night and I went to go get some makeup to wear. And because the blog was centered around this idea of beauty being better, I was only receiving clean beauty um, submissions. And I had created a beauty closet with all these bins that were labeled like skincare, body, bath, hair, ingestibles, uh, makeup. And the makeup bin compared to the others was totally different. All Mm. of the bins were overflowing with products. Some of them had two bins and the makeup bin was essentially empty. Wow. Mm Mm-hmm couple things in there. And it was this very visual moment. And it was so, it was so impactful that it, I went on Instagram that night and started asking my community questions. Like, what's the deal? Like, why is there no clean makeup? And what do you like? What would you want more of? What would you create if you could create something? And that was truly the night that Say was born. So cool. I, we, we, talk about the feel good five, which are the pillars that say stands on. And those pillars were told to us by that in that conversation that night. Um, it's where the name of the brand comes from is from our community saying what they want. But going back to the risk taking, because I am also really interested in this conversation. I, I would say the biggest risk, although leaving us stay lauder was a really big risk, uh, starting say was a huge risk for so many reasons, but I describe it. I remember listening to a podcast actually where the founder of Soul Cycle described it as almost the same thing as like your phone ringing and you pick up the phone and you it's this idea and you either put down the phone. And you act on it or you don't. Mm-hmm. And it was that like simple and clear. It was like I had had this idea and it was I, it was like I couldn't think about anything else. Mm-hmm. And I 
either was going to do it or not. I just had, I was pregnant at the time. And then I had Isabella, who's my oldest daughter. And it took me a few months to get used to being a new mom. Of course. I just started, it was like almost like a thread that I was just pulling. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just put one foot after the next, but each you know, each step was a risk. I was reaching out to people. I was calling in favors. I raised money, which is a huge risk. And then, you know, you put yourself out there for the world and it's very humbling and you're very vulnerable. Yeah, I can imagine. And what's going through my mind as you're explaining all of this, I think it's so incredible that you knew to leave Estee Lauder, even though you didn't quite know what the next long-term thing was going to be, you had things in the short term. Um, and I think from creating that space, it sounds like that's where Say came from. You kind of created this room for opportunity for yourself. Something I'm curious about, What were people supportive of that decision? Were you getting backlash from people? Were people asking, what are you doing? Um, like, What was your support system during that transition? I think for the most part, when you do something really risky, and it's really interesting because I get entrepreneurs who call me or people who want to talk about big risks in their life, I always tell them to just follow your instincts. You know, I, when you, I can't decide for you if mm-hmm. this is a right move or not. And, and there is no right move. You, know, you make the best decision. You make the best of whatever decision you take. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. I I want this risk topic is very interesting me to me. Mm-hmm. If you can't tell, <laughs> I have so many me more too. questions. But um, with that being said, we want to pivot a little bit into what we call our quick hit segment. Yes. And so, Lainey, what happens here is Emma and I will rattle off questions, and we want you to respond with the first thing that comes to mind. We have a bad habit of staying on a topic a little too long when these are meant to be quick hits and that's on us. So we're going to do our best. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So let's kick it off. The first question we have for you is what trait do you most attribute to your success? Perseverance. Oh, see, I have more I want to say on that, (laughs) but I'm not. (laughs) Self-restraint. Okay. Next one. What advice do you have for your younger self? Be kind to everyone including, including yourself. Mm, So good Good one. And you're not the first entrepreneur to say that. And then other people too sometimes say like, um, don't try to have it all figured out and be like, trust yourself Mm -hmm. enough to figure it out as things come up. You don't need to be a Mm -hmm. perfect planner. Everything along those veins need to be like hammered into new entrepreneurs' minds. I'm almost too good at that. <laughs> my advice for myself might be like, maybe plan a little bit better. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so funny. See, to us, you seem so structured and organized and you hear your story and you're like, oh, everything was, you know, like you had the North Star and yeah, it took some deviations on the path to get there, but you seemed like you've had it all together. There were a lot of jumping off into the deep ends in there. I maybe sound confident when I'm like, you know, telling the, the cliff note version, but um yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm often on the high dive, just jumping off. I love that. I love that. Okay. Next question is what gives you energy? I love 
and I just had this today. Um, I love spending time with my team. I really adore everyone that works at Say and we'll have these brainstorming sessions and they are so much fun. And we just bounce ideas off each other. And I I leave the calls an hour call more energized than before we started. Oh my I, gosh. It's like one of my favorite things. Um, and, and then I've also recently gotten into tennis and I've been on days where I play tennis. I have a lot of energy. Yes. Tennis is so fun. It's so yeah. much harder than it looks. It's so um, much how it looks. I started because it's, I mean, I, I can talk about that a lot actually, because my daughter started before I did. And, um, anyway, so <laughs> the, the, I started playing tennis though, because I wanted to give my brain a break and I, you know, I wanted to, I started cause I wanted to be able to play with Isabella cause she's getting really good. And, um, and I was like, okay, well, I better start. So I mm-hmm. am in pace with her. And after even just the first time playing, I was like, oh my gosh, I felt like it was like a massage for my brain because you can't think about wow. anything else. Like maybe when you're picking up balls, you can think about work. But like other than that, like you have to be focused. Yeah. And, it's um, meditative in its own right. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I'm reading this book right now and it's called Essentialism. And the, the number one takeaway for me, because I tend to be a little bit um, goal-oriented and kind of like a dog with a bone. Once I have my sight set on something, I can't let it rest. And it talks about how play and um, play de- being defined as like doing something with no purpose or no outcome mm-hmm. um, and how powerful that is in neurological restructuring so that you're actually like turning things from short-term memory into long-term memory and oh. and committing them in your in your like neurological structures. I don't know the science of it, but that's generally like the thesis of it. And I got to be honest, I was a little resistant to it at the beginning because everything that I do has to have a purpose and it's task oriented. And so to hear you say that it's a way to like intentionally check out makes so much sense to me. Everyone needs something like that. And that can be your purpose. (laughs) Bingo. Yeah. It could be as simple as that. Completely. Mm -hmm. Okay, Kelsey, I'm getting us back on track. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) She's so good at that. Um, Okay. Next question is, who do you think gets it? Hands down, the person I look to the most is Yvonne Chouinard, the um, founder of Patagonia. Patagonia, yeah. Um, oh, we've gotten amazing. that one a few times. Yeah. yeah. So I, good. I think everything they do is amazing. Oh, yeah. They're such an incredible brand. Absolutely. What's one thing you don't understand? Why people buy plastic water bottles. Mm. we're going tactical and I have to say I love it (laughs) um my it was my birthday um two weeks ago and I didn't have drinking glasses so I was using a water bottle um kind of in place until drinking glasses came in and my boyfriend had had enough so that was my birthday gift (laughs) some drinking glasses so I don't have to use (laughs) bottles anymore yeah I my my aunt Melinda said the funniest thing the other day she's like you know what I do when I'm out and about and I don't have any water with me? I was like, what? She's like, I stay thirsty until oh I get home. And it's I not like, that hard. I, I was like, I love that. Like you don't have to consume a plastic water bottle. You can just be thirsty for a little bit. You'll be okay. 
So true. It's a good We're point. Not I like it. And our planet will not. So yeah, yeah. I like <laughs> okay. that answer. Very tactical. And the next one, I have to tell you a little backstory before. When we had Baba Rivera on the show and we asked her this question, she said, say. So that's how we got this whole thing started. That's why we reached out to you in the first place. Um, But the next question is, what's a brand other than your own that you're loving right now? Oh, that's a really hard one. There are a lot of brands I'm really loving right now. And funny enough, my order from Baba's line ceremony like just arrived this morning. <laughs> oh, um, that's so serendipitous. Yeah. The, the other brand that arrived is I got some more Brightland olive oil, which oh, I really yes. love. I would say one brand that is kind of kind of surprising me lately. Um, I just went back to my Vintner's daughter routine. Mm-hmm. Um, they only make two products and um, I've been using both of them in tandem every night. And I was like, oh, I remember why my skin loves this routine so much. It's, it's beautiful. Um, and my skin is very sensitive. So I've been appreciating that. But I could go on and on with this question. <laughs> Sounds like it. I'm loving right now. Well, I think those are great ones. Um, yeah, ceremony. I'm not surprised that that's on the list. Um, but our final question, and then we've completed this segment, is what's the last book that you've read? I just read Contagious, which is a book about what makes things go viral. Stop. Mm-hmm. I've never heard of this, but I mm-hmm. am adding it to my reading list. It's a really good read. And, you know, it's not a, it's not a new book, so they're not going to, they're not talking about things in the same way as maybe you would today, but it's things like, there was one example that I thought was so interesting. It was someone opening like a, a cheesesteak restaurant in Philly. And like, there's a million Mm -hmm. cheesesteak restaurants in Philly Mm -hmm. and they, made a thousand dollar cheesesteak where they like made it like with Wagyu and they put caviar on top. I don't remember the details, but it was like, it was so genius and they got so much press out of it and everyone wanted to go to order that thousand dollar cheesesteak. And, Mm. um, and it was just, it was really smart. And I, as we talked about earlier, I'm fascinated about what propels people to make decisions. So, Mm -hmm. Okay. So interesting. Adding it to the list. My book list grows with every episode. Yep. That's true. (laughs) But yeah, that wraps up part one of our conversation. So Lainey, thank you so much and can't wait to chat more with you soon. Oh, thanks you guys. That was so fun. Okay. How much do we love Lainey? Like seriously, We absolutely loved this chat with her. I think my biggest takeaway is you have to be willing to take risks and you have to bet on yourself. If you believe in yourself and you believe in what you want to do, go for it, trust your instincts and see what's going to happen. And I bet you, you'll be pleasantly surprised. So as I mentioned, we're doing two parts of a conversation with Lainey. So in a couple days, stay tuned for our next episode coming out with her. In that one, we're going to talk all about her creative process. Lainey sees one of her superpowers as being able to look at things differently and be a really big dreamer. So we talk through how she takes that superpower and utilizes it to build 
say into the brand that it is today. It's a great episode with a ton of takeaways, especially if you see yourself as someone who's a creative mind and maybe you have a hard time harnessing that sometimes. Lainey has a lot of great tips for how she makes the most of this skill. So again, keep an eye for that coming out in a couple days. In the meantime, feel free to join our community on Instagram at they.get.it. We share lots more content there and we love chatting with you all in the DMs. So never hesitate to shoot us a message. Let us know what you think of our content, what you'd like to see from us. We are all ears. And until then, have a great day. Thank you.